Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodak. I'm here with Jay Walker. Jay, how are you doing? Hey there, Josh. How are you? I'm great. I'm very good. And it's only been a few hours, like 48 hours or 72 hours since we last saw each other, although we recorded a while ago. And Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's what it's been. And I think this is the, I'm trying to remember if there's one that I did with someone before, as opposed to, you know, hearing back about it without participating in. I think this is, I think this is the first time. Yeah. So I'm really, this is going to be fun for me. Uh, <laughs> and I hope for you too, to, to share about it. Yeah. So before I ask what you did, can we go back a step before that? Do you remember last time when I asked you about what the environment meant to you and what you thought about? Do you remember what you shared? I never remember anything I say. So I remember <laughs> something about, I, I know it's about you growing up and Chesapeake Bay and um, being on the water. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just the fact that that's the place, uh, the water, the ocean, um, most specifically, is the, is the place where I feel the greatest connection to the earth. And what, can you describe that connection, what it feels like? Yeah, I you know it's it's just a feeling of of wholeness of connection when I'm in the ocean especially I just feel uh, I feel an energy uh, I feel uh, it feels very primal um, just a, a very very primal feeling of of being a part of you know this gigantic ecosystem. I always like to go back to the original feelings and motivations so that when people talk about it, they're not just talking about what happened, right. but where it came from. And all right, so I asked you, I invited you to think of something new to act on those feelings. And do you remember how, how it evolved and what it, what it evolved into? Well, yeah, because I, you know, we, we talked about the fact that you know, in the city, um, in New York, uh, you don't really get, you know, I mean, we are sort of New York Harbor does technically feed into the Atlantic Ocean, but when you're sort of living in the middle of the city, you know, you're just sort of um, disconnected in a lot of ways from, from nature. Um, you know, it's concrete, it's the concrete jungle, as the old saying goes. And so you asked me, you know, sort of what sort of things have I done in the past to try to stimulate or simulate that connection and I remember that I haven't done this something, one thing that I hadn't done in a very long time uh, was, uh, but that I used to love to do was to go into Central Park and rent a rowboat and row out on the, uh, on the Central Park Lake. And you mentioned, uh, and I said that I, that's just not something I can do right now. And you mentioned that there are, um, that there's a, uh, a place on the Hudson River where you can borrow a kayak for 20 minutes and kayak out of the Hudson. And I said, wow, I, I mean, I knew about kayaking on the Hudson. I've got a friend who's in a, 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 a kayaking group up in Inwood, but I did not know that, you know, you could go and have a kayak for, for 20 minutes for free. And uh, so you suggested that we go. Yeah. And then we ended up going together. And so a couple of days after that, which is a couple of days ago, we met down right by the dock and well, and now how did it, so how, what happened? How was the experience for you? Um, yeah, it was wonderful. Um, you know, I had a kayak since I was a kid when I was in Cub Scouts at Camp Chickahominy and uh, outside of Williamsburg, Virginia. And uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's right there on the pier kind of by late street uh, off the West side highway. Um, I can't, I think it's pier 45. Is that it? Uh, 26. 26. I don't know where I got 45. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, 
yeah, it was just, it was really easy and simple. And I'm amazed that I didn't know about it before and I'd never done it before because it was, uh, you know, you just go, you sign in, you get your life jacket, you get your your paddle and wait in line. And there's just a stream of people coming and going, you know, people going out for their 20 minutes. And uh, uh, it was great, um, you know, especially having been a New Yorker for 20, I mean, for, for it'll be 36 years in a week uh, or two weeks. And knowing what the Hudson River has been through in that time and, you know, and going back long before uh, I ever lived in New York, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of pollution, uh, PCBs, just sort of all these things, and I sort of followed the, you know, the, the cleanup efforts over the years, and you know, not too closely, but you know, I was aware that they were going on, and so it was um, it was kind of wild to be in the Hudson River and have the water of the Hudson River splashing up into my kayak and and, and paddling out there. It was kind of this, uh, you know, a weird like sort of. Not really full circle, but just sort of a, a a paradigm shift, like a sort of a physical representation of the paradigm shift of paradigm shift of how how much the city and the state have done to clean up the river. It is weird. Like one of the things you mentioned was that it's it's free, and if it weren't there, and someone said they were going to do it, I could easily imagine them saying, "Well, of course you have to charge for it." And if they did charge for it, I could, I would certainly be happy to, for what I got out of it, I'd be happy to pay. I can't, how did it work out that it's free? I mean, this, like, yeah, I guess it's a nonprofit that runs it. And um, after it was over, I remember when we were heading in our, our, our life jackets, uh, the gentleman that was sort of minding the life jacket area uh, mentioned that, you know, they, they're open for volunteers, that anyone can, you know, come and volunteer to help out there. So, you know, I guess like many nonprofits, they get funding and uh, they uh, encourage volunteers to, to come and help. I'm glad they do. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it makes me think of like libraries. If libraries didn't exist, I think if someone tried to create libraries today, they'd be like, oh, copyright violation. You can't do that. Where's the, where's the profit motive? Yeah. <laughs> And yet it's, it's this great thing. So what, any favorite parts of it for you? Uh, yeah, obviously just being out in the water, but just sort of, you know, because as I said, it's been, you know, 40 some odd years since I've been in a kayak. And it was just sort of remembering how to do it and just sort of, you know, you, you know when you first do it, you kind of are like paddling very shallow and trying to sort of like almost make it into a, like a, a rotating kind of thing. And then, you know, I said, no, that's not it. Wait a minute. And you just sort of remember, okay, no, it's deep, deep paddles and then switching and then taking it out and then deep. And then you sort of get into the, the rhythm of it and, you know, just the, you know, figuring out how to steer and all of those little things, just sort of trying to become one with the kayak <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. But, um, you know, I think I was doing pretty well, you know, after the first five minutes or so getting adjusted, I think I, did, I was doing pretty well. Yeah, I do remember at first I was like, oh, this guy's going to fall over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so people know that like these aren't like kayaks that were wearing a helmet and flipping around and, and the water. It was a nice breezy day, but not, yeah. Yeah. there weren't serious waves. It's not like whitewater rafting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was, pretty, it was a pretty smooth, you know, pretty smooth uh, current. 
Yeah, and we we bumped into each other a few times at the beginning. I think you said, mm-hmm. Josh, this is kayaking, not bumper cars. <laughs> but then eventually it was, you know, you get the hang of, we got the hang of like, sometimes you have to paddle backwards, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, we explored out to the, so how much, how big was the space? Maybe a hundred yards by 50 yards is like roughly the size of a football field, maybe bigger. Yeah, that seems about right. That seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was interesting too. It was like, there were some areas where people, uh, the other people that were out there tended to congregate. And then there were other areas within the prescribed zone that were just completely empty. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure like what that was all about, but I was like, I want to go over there where it's empty. <laughs> well, I think the current had something to do with it, or the wind, like when they got down to where we'd get on. So these people who helped us get on and get off mm-hmm. so that it wasn't, so that people wouldn't fall in. And I think when people, well, definitely there were more people down there because yeah. I guess they get on and off there. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. How did you feel about the pace of things? Because for me, getting on a boat, it suddenly changes from wherever I was to the wind and the waves and the current. And there's a different pace for me. Did you feel that as well? Um, I don't know if pace is the words that I would use, but you definitely, I mean, it's, it's, it's an, for lack of a better term, it's sort of the environment. You're suddenly in a completely different environment even though you're within eyeshot of the environment you were just in but you do feel like you've been transported into this completely other realm you know and you're you're functioning by the by the rules of this new realm instead of the realm you were you were just in yeah i did did it with you and and i enjoyed the conversation and and the camaraderie of it Although now that you mention it, like it, I, I don't think I've done it with friends before, but I don't think I've done it by myself. And I wonder if I, I might just walk down there someday and just get out on the water by myself just because of the effect you're describing of the separation. That- yeah, I think I definitely will be doing that. <laughs> I will definitely be going out, going down and, and bringing friends. But also I, uh, I couldn't help, but, you know, thinking about the idea of just sort of doing and no offense to you, <laughs> just <laughs> the notion, just, of, you know, being alone you know, with your thoughts and the waves and the pat, you know, and the paddle and just sort of, yeah, just that, that vibe. Yeah. Maybe we'll bump at each other. Not intentionally. <laughs> not intentionally. Exactly. And yeah. What was the emotional experience of it for you? And not just being on the water, but the whole, the whole thing from when our last conversation and I mentioned, Oh, there's free kayaking to planning it, to walking down there, to walking back to reflecting afterward. What was the emotional journey? Um, an emotional journey. Uh, I mean, I think it was all, you know, leading up to it was all anticipation, excitement, curiosity. And when we, uh, when I got, when I arrived there, there was a little regret that I didn't, uh, you know, because I was thinking about packing lightly and you know not care you know not carrying a lot of stuff with me and i didn't even think about the idea that they'd have lockers there mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i would have like you know brought my bag with me and you know and put that in the locker and i probably would have uh brought a change of clothes uh <laughs> yeah we got a bit wet yeah things, things like that um you know because i just didn't know what to expect but then uh that i mean regret was was just sort of more realization than regret really and then, you know, sort of like uh, 
even though it's, you know, even though I've been out of the water plenty of times in plenty of different types of vessels, there is always that moment when you're first getting on, you know, when they're helping you and they're holding it. It's like, oh, why do I fall in? <laughs> you know, you can't help, you know, is that sort of like when you're going out of a plane skydiving, which I've only done once, but I did do once stand in tandem. Uh, and that's sort of like, okay, I gotta just trust that I, this step is not going to kill me. It's not going to like plunge me into the ocean. Um, and then once you're sitting down in the kayak and you've got your, um, your, you know, your paddle in your hand and the person's pushed you off from the dock, then uh, it's, you know, there's a, a sense of relief mixed with exhilaration, you know, and then sort of getting, getting out into it. You were like a couple of, you were a little bit of a, a, a tiny bit of a ways from, from me when you were getting on your, your boat. I think there was one other kayak separating us on the dock when we were getting yeah. uh, on, at the dock. Uh, and so, you know, then just sort of, okay, where's Josh? Okay, there we go. All right. So where are we going to go? All right. But then, you know, there's a, being out on the water, there's just sort of inevitably a, I don't know, unless you're in like some crazy storm, uh, a sense of tranquility, just sort of peace, of calm. And then the sort of kick in for me is just sort of, okay, how fast can I go in this thing? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, you know, it's definitely, you know, just a, a new, wonderful New York experience that will be incorporated into my life now. Uh, I'm very grateful that you uh, introduced me to it. What you mentioned there about the one who go really fast, that reminds me of a conversation. I can't remember who I had it with. I think it was on this podcast where someone talked about the childlike feeling that we get in nature. And it didn't occur to me until the person said it in that, in that particular way, but it might apply here too, that is it childlike or is it something that is human, but in our culture, we've taught ourselves that when you become adult, you're not supposed to enjoy things like that. You have to be more responsible and be a, an adult. Like, I, th I mean, I think that's definitely, I think that, I think you've hit that, that um, nail right on the head, you know, the process of, of maturation, you know, in our culture is one of trying to separate yourself from those sort of baseline human responses, those just sort of immediate natural responses and to overthink them. Uh, to, you know, sort of guard against a negative interpretation of them. You know, so we do a lot. We do a lot of that. I always, you know, it's, a, it's a stupid thing. It's a, it's a stupid sitcom that's actually not aged well by a lot of people's standards. But there's, um, there's an episode of Friends where Phoebe and Rachel, I don't know if you ever watched Friends, but Phoebe and Rachel, which are the girl. I just know the names. Yeah. Okay. Uh, decide to go out uh, running. And, you know, Rachel being the sort of Connecticut Jap that she is sort of does like the very like cute, pretty, small movement, you know, even breathing sort of jogging. And Phoebe runs like with her arms flailing all around and unequal and just sort of like her arms batting all over, you know, and, and they get into it about, you know, and he was like, I want to run like I'm a little kid. I want to run and have fun. I, you know, I'm not here to like, I'm not doing this to like look cute. I want to like enjoy running. And I was, you know, and that, so, you know, it's that, it's that sort of thing that societal norms do to uh, just sort of, sort of even out everything and flatten 
our emotional responses because strong emotional responses are seen as disruptive or or problematic or unbalanced or or what have you. And, and granted, some very, very, very strong emotional responses are absolutely all those things. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's that usual thing that, you know, going too far in one direction or another. You know, the way you put it, put it at the beginning before you talked about uh, friends, I was thinking, <laughs> I wonder if other cultures, non-industrialized cultures, if adults have more fun. I mean, maybe they have strictures in other ways that maybe make it, less fun in other ways, but I'm inclined to, th- and also if they spend more time in nature, if we can understand, I don't want to define it too much, but like out in, out in the water, out in trees, if they have more fun, less restriction. I mean, it would make sense because we sort of have technologized our sense of enjoyment, of stimulation, of you know, what is, what's exciting, what's fulfilling, what's thrilling, you know, you know, be it, you know, movies or going to a play or going to, uh, to an amusement park and a roller coaster. And I would imagine that, you know, in pre-industrial societies that you, that, you know, it's, it's trite as hell, but, you know, the simpler things uh, <laughs> can be the most rewarding, that you're more in tune and more observant of of the world around you. Yeah, I would look at it from a uh, evolutionary perspective that we we evolved to get reward from things that were there, not things that weren't there. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about plays or watching movies or technology, it's it tends to be a more passive experience. So something entertains us rather than we have to paddle the boat ourselves. Right. Like if you go on a power boat. That's not quite the same thing if you. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. About the the difference between a boat where you're using your hands and your mind to, to steer, you know, to, to do all of the work as opposed to something that you just pull on a chain and uh, a motor starts running. Yeah. Or watching a movie as opposed to, well, it could be either acting, being an actor Mm -hmm. in oneself Mm -hmm. or, just living. Yeah. Well, no, and as a child, right, you play make-believe, you play characters. Like that's, you know, that's one of the things that you do when you're playing with your friends, you know, regardless of how, I mean, people in our generation, regardless of how problematic the things we played at were <laughs> when we look back at them. Um, Cowboys and Indians. Yeah. <laughs> you got my, you got my drift there. Uh-huh. But, you know, but we did, we were, we were, we were active. We were active. We are using our own imaginations, not relying on, on um, exclusively on other people's imaginations to stimulate us. We're able to, to use our own. How about, so that was emotions. How about relationships? Did, this is a question I ask everyone is, is how did it, uh, did it affect any relationships? And if so, how? Any relationships? I mean, you mean interpersonal relationships or just generally relationships? Yeah. Uh, interpersonal relationships, well, what I was asking was interpersonal relationships. Did you tell people about what you're doing? Did it, uh, I mean, you did it with me. Uh-huh. And then also. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Def- I'm definitely. Maybe did it change how you think about relationships also? Um, I would say that, uh, no. In terms of my interpersonal relationships, I wouldn't say that they changed anything. 
I definitely did, um, you know, tell people, tell friends that I that I went out and did it and talked about it and how, how much fun it is and suggested that, you know, oh, we should do it sometime. And, you know, and so maybe that would, you know, in some way, if I end up, I mean, there's only a few months, there's only a, a few weeks left to the summer, but maybe, you know, that will enrich some of my relationships if I do um, go out with some, you know, some good friends uh, and do that with them. But it was more about my relationship to the city that I, you know, that it, it uh, broadened just a little bit, just a scotch. That this is a, you know, you know, the, you know, the, I think everyone who moves to New York has a sort of love affair with the city that goes on for however long you're here. And, you know, it's that sort of thing where you're, you know, when you're in a relationship with a person, no matter how long you're with that person, you're always finding out new things. And so with the city, it's the same way. And so this was, you know, finding out and exploring this other new thing, uh, this new thing about the city that I had uh, experienced before. You know, you're just making me think that I just went to Governor's Island for the first time and biked around there. Mm-hmm. And that was also with another guest on this podcast. It wasn't his thing to do. He just invited me to go there. Mm-hmm. And as I, I put this out here as a testament to the Spodic method of, of this process of walking people through to invite something. This guy is a super hardcore Trump supporter. Uh-huh. And he did things you know, to act on sustainability. And uh-huh. we become friends. And he invited me out to Governor's Island to go ride our bikes around. Uh-huh. And it was really, you know, what made me think of it was you saying discovering new things about the city because I'd heard about mm-hmm. Governor's Island for a long time and I knew they were doing stuff there. And yeah, it's, uh, he's also African-American. So mm-hmm. one of, I don't know how many supporters of Trump there are like that, but he's one of them. A vanishingly small number, thankfully. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I, I do strongly believe in learning from people I disagree with. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, if you haven't been to Governor's Island, it's really cool, too, because there's this short little ferry ride across the river, and then there you are. Yeah, you know, I, I have not been uh, to Governor's Island. And, yeah, it is something that I've wanted to do, because I know that there's some really interesting sort of wildlife things that have, that, you know, little areas that are, um, I can't remember what, what species, but they're like a, there's like, what is it? Uh, is it seals, maybe? It might be, there, there might be seals on Governor's Island. I do. I mean, people have told me the more I talk about being out on the water and things like that, people tell me about seeing seals every now and then. And sometimes there'll be a dolphin or, or a whale that's seen in the harbor. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking, should I get you and him together and all three of us could go? That would be, uh, there'd be fireworks right. on Governor's Island. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you are probably a lot more open to spending time with a Trump supporter than I am. <laughs> that could be. I don't mind learning about them, but I prefer to keep that at a far. From afar. <laughs> so going back to the, um, part of me wants to continue this conversation, but I'm going to go back to the emotions that you described, the calm, the, the fun. And I predicted, say that I at the beginning said, why don't you do something for the environment and give you some idea of like avoiding plastic water bottles for water for, for a while or something like that. Like not walking you through the process of you sharing the Chesapeake Bay experience, the childhood experience. I suspect it wouldn't have been fun in the way that this one was because it wouldn't have been coming from inside. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And there's a different, you know, and there's a, 
I mean, you know, when you pollution, litter, things like that, you know, I mean, I think that unless you're, you know, vaguely sociopathic, like, you know, most people um, are disturbed when they see litter in some way, whether it's, you know, to a small degree or to a great degree. But having, I remember having, when we were walking back, having just been in the Hudson, having had the water on my body, when we were walking uh, back north along uh, Hudson River Park, uh, you know, you notice the, the plastic bottle in the Hudson. And, you know, and I've seen litter in the Hudson many times before, but having just been in it, uh, it, was, it was, a you know, sort of a different, a different reaction to it. You know, there's sort of a sense of just having, you know, being more connected, having just been in it, just being more connected to it and sort of feeling the presence of that bottle in the river more viscerally than just sort of intellectually saying that shouldn't be there. That's wrong. People are messy. People are terrible. It probably blew in from the street. It probably wasn't even someone just throwing it in, right? You know, people like leave it on the sidewalk, not realizing that sidewalk is connected to more sidewalk, which then like goes to the west side, which then goes to the river, and then a stiff wind can blow it in, you know? Um, but yeah, it was a, it was definitely a different, uh, more visceral sort of negative reaction to, to seeing the bottle in the water. So that visceral, yeah, and, and you didn't identify like the people who did it, but this, the people who manufactured it and the people who extracted the oil that it was made from or the gas that it was made from mm-hmm. and the profiting from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the, the visceral experience and the fun experience. Now, the reason I contacted you in the first place was from the, the Queer Liberation March and the litter in right. Washington Square Park. And I think most people, I think when I first contacted you, our first non-recorded conversation, when I was talking about making it more sustainable and reducing a lot of that waste, I remember one of the things you said, look, it has to be safe. Well, you got to make sure that people who attend this thing, maybe some people need water and don't have access to other, you know, and is there, I think that there's a different feel. Like if people, what if, if sustainability and, and the march were intertwined with fun and a connection. Like, is there a different feeling to the to approaching the march with making it more sustainable, assuming that's that remains an interest after having had this experience? Yeah, no, definitely. It definitely remains. It definitely remains an interest, and it's really good to sort of have my mind and thinking oriented toward this this early on because when we first were connected um, by the folks at HOP it was about a month before pride and it was you know precious little we could do at that moment in terms of like being you know strategic but uh it's something that is going there's a lot of there's a lot of different intersections that have to be taken into account because you know the queer liberation march is an unpermitted march it's you know we don't negotiate with the city we don't negotiate with the nypd you know anything that you do with the city there's a the nypd is inserted into that process they control the permits for all public gatherings they control the permits for for sound systems for you know anything like that now mind you that's not necessarily about sustainability but if we were going to try to 
figure out ways that we can, for instance, have more water for people without them, you know, without using plastic bottles, for instance, without, you know, with that, you know, small plastic bottles of water being the way that we are giving water to people along the March route. Uh, to figure out ways of doing that, you know, might require, might require more involvement with the city, which then in the history of the city invites more control from the city of, of the activities that we do. That's just, you know, and if you look at the history of Heritage of Pride, that's exactly what happened. It was originally, you know, from the people, by the people, for the people, not involved with the city was a renegade thing. And as, it, as, as time went on, it, the city became more and more and more involved in it. And then the, you know, organizers ceded more and more uh, control and direction of it to the city, to the NYPD, et cetera. But, you know, thinking about these things long-term, it's worth exploring ways that we could, you know, that we can, can do things uh, to, to cut down on that sort of carbon footprint, you know, of the march. Um, like, for instance, I, I don't know whether I mentioned this the last time we talked, when we did the, um, when we did the first Queer Liberation March, we ended in Central Park. Uh, and we had a big, a very, very large rally because that was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall um, uprising. And because we were doing that in Central Park, Central Park has really good water, accessible water lines that you can, and there are companies that have these machines that you can bring in, that you can connect to the water lines, and then there's flowing water. And so people that people can you know, sort of bring a, a permanent thing and then refill it and refill it and refill it so that we're not handing out all these water bottles. And so that was something that we were able to do the first year because we were thinking about it. And, uh, but the subsequent three years, we've ended at Washington Square Park and Washington Square Park doesn't have that infrastructure. And so, so it's going to have to be a way of figuring out how you know, if we do a rally in a Washington Square Park, how are we going, you know, what can we do to make, you know, to create less garbage? And so it's good that we're, you know, that we can start thinking about this now and really, you know, sort of reach out and figure out ways to, to do things. Same thing with food, you know, it's just sort of the same thing with food, right? You know, if we could have uh, folks with prepared food in the park selling, you know, as opposed to handing out packaged, you know, plastic packaged goods or people with fruit or what, what have you, that would be great. But then that is another thing where you have to go through, through the parks department, through the city, which inevitably invites the, you know, inevitably invites the police presence in because everything has to be, um, has to be permitted. And so, it, you know, it's about, you know, figuring out what we can do and what, how much, the organization is going to be willing to work with the city when so much of what we're marching about is in protest of a multitude of policies that the city uh, is either pursuing or is not pursuing. The way you're talking about it now compared to the way you talked about it before, it feels like you're much more like you're more open, like looking forward to what can we do. That culture to me, it's like I hear a cultural shift if that's not too strong a term because you're just one person, I don't know if that's like a culture. 
<laughs> yeah, but I would like to invite you to one of our meetings, you know, in the fall to, uh, you know, to sort of help get folks thinking. I mean, everyone is, everyone within the organization is very environmentally minded, but the, the, the constraints of personnel, the fact that we right now have about eight people actively organizing for, you know, what will eventually be something that has 40,000 people attending, uh, you know, makes it all the more important that we start these processes as early as possible and incorporate them, incorporate them into the planning as early as possible so that as we move through the year and more people come in, then that, then the sort of modus operandi, uh, the operating principles are already there and people adapt to them. And that's going to be the, that, you know, that's going to be, have to be the important, uh, the important piece. You were talking a lot about providing water to people. And there are a couple of things that came to mind at the low level and also at the higher level. At the low level, I would think one thing could be to say, some of you will not be able to bring water and we'll need to provide it for you. Some of you can. And if you can, we'll give it to you if you ask. But if you bring your own, that'll cut down a lot. You know, bring your own reusable mm -hmm. container. This is kind of when riffing on being in the water, actively doing things, paddling, as opposed to passively having it done for you. And I did a ride, mm -hmm. this bike ride. Um, it was a fundraiser. And I talked to the people about reducing, because they had all these sponsors and the sponsors are all giving packaged food. So there's all this garbage that produced all these rest stops. And their ethos was, well, these people are putting a lot, they're, they're donating their own money or going out and fundraising to, you know, they're putting the time in to get other people to donate. We want to give them a white glove experience. We want them to, we don't want to have them, we don't want to make them work. But I've had other events where mm -hmm. the organizer would say, we want to be very clean. So bring your own knot bring your own forks, bring your own containers, and we're not going to provide anything for you. And I don't think that mm -hmm. that second one, the people were activated as opposed to, you know, passively entertained. And I think that their takeaway was a, a re more rewarding experience for them, even though they had to do more work or perhaps because they got to do more work. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And that might be, you know, it's that, you know, but there's all there's also the. I mean, we'd have to even if we say we're not going to provide anything, we'd have to have some stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, just not enough because if, if someone falls out, you know, it's a hot day, it's the last Sunday in June, generally speaking. So if somebody is clearly dehydrated and can't walk. We want to be able to have you know stuff on hand to help them. Definitely, medics need to have water and things like that. But even if all of them had it, you, you still have a ninety percent drop in total amount of. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, I agree. I agree. That might be, that might be the way to do it. And then at the higher level, I'm thinking of um, the, and look, I'm geographically close to the March, but I wouldn't call my, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a queer, but mm -hmm. so from outside the community, I might still feel like saying, or someone inside the community might say, look, we want to present to the world who we are and we, we don't want to leave a big mess. And you could bring a, a plastic rainbow flag that you wave for 30 minutes and then discard forever, but we'd love, we'd love more to see your smile and that, mm -hmm. you know, think twice before bringing something or buying something disposable. And what can you bring instead that is either not 
having something disposable or just like your personal expression of, of yourself. Mm-hmm. And because you guys are, I mean, one thing that's hit me a lot from what you've described is how you're taking on the police and saying, stop with this, the bike rack uh, cage, horrible mm-hmm. barricades. Yeah. Barricades. Right. And yeah. I hope that you set a tone for all future parades and, and marches that it's not just like, okay, the police say we have to do this. So we have to do this. And it takes like 50 minutes to cross sixth Avenue because they're all like, try that street. And you're like, well, I just came from there. And they said to come down here and yeah. all that nonsense. Yeah. And you can't just join the parade. You can't just walk onto it, even when it's designed for that. And well, maybe this would be, you know, maybe I can dream that you also set the tone for leaving it better than you found it for the, the can, can 40,000 people congregate. And when they walk away, there's less litter on the ground than when they arrived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting experiment to see whether that could, whether that could happen. I mean, it's, um, it would be, uh, yeah. I mean, the truth is, it's, you know, like you say, if even a, a decent percentage of people alter their relationship to garbage and litter and plastic, you know, it, it, as far as how they participate in the march, then, you know, that's a, you know, that's a victory of sorts, you know, and perhaps it's the, the kind of thing that, you know, year one, 30% of folks only bring sustainable, only bring, you know, reusable water containers and bring food that's not packaged in plastics, uh, you know, for their consumption. And the next year it's 35, the next year there's 40%, you know, and it grows from there, you know, that's, that would be a good, you know, a good outcome if it's something that we're able to sustain and grow. And I think, you know, and I definitely think you're right that it's, it's definitely about language and how we use it in terms of promoting the march and encouraging people to come, what we encourage people to, to do. Uh, there will be, you know, they're definitely going to be like, you know, the, there is an economic angle to this. And there are some folks that are, you know, don't feel like they can spend 1095 on a, on a reusable water container and they're going to come, <laughs> they're going to come with plastic bottles and we have to accept that. But there are people that have those plastic water containers sitting around in their house that they never use because, you know, they have those, you know, reasonable things because they got it in a gift bag at a party or they got, you know, or, or someone gave it to them or, you know, they just, they were being handed out at a street fair or, or whatever. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where you sort of remind them that thing up in your cabinet, that reusable, that reusable water container that you have up in your cabinet. Why don't you just bring that? And the other three that are sitting there from the other things that people gave them to because they're like, oh, we're being so right. eco. We're giving you extra stuff. We're giving you yet another one of these things. Because, <laughs> man, if you walk into any Goodwill or any thrift shop, there's so many of these things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure because people don't have room for them. <laughs> and, then, and then for some reason, some place is like, oh, well, let's be eco and give them away. And then others are like, oh, I'll accept it. Mm-hmm. And neither, should, neither of them should do that either. <laughs> but if they're there and they're people without, then the people without should not, buy, not have to buy new ones. Mm-hmm. If, if other people have too many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people should just set them out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not accept them in the first place and hopefully not create them so that the factories call, call it to the yeah. 
the warehouses call the factories and say, stop making them. The factory calls up to the uh, oil rig and says, stop making the plastic or stop extracting the oil or the gas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's further down the line, right? That's the, that's, I mean, <laughs> I see, I foresee that world. It's not beyond yeah. my imagination that the factory is like, just stop sending us the supplies. We can't, we, no one's buying this stuff anymore. They won't, like, they won't even take it for free. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of how I, I live not far from a, a Goodwill. And so I pass it a lot and just constantly, there's so much more being dropped off at Goodwill than they could possibly sell. Just everyone was like, oh, I'll just go, I'll take it to Goodwill. There, I'm doing something good for the world. Mm-hmm. And if you ever see the pictures of like Ghana, where all the stuff gets sent, we're just drowning them in the stuff. And we're like, oh, we're living in such great times. Look at all this material stuff. Well, if this material stuff is so good, why are we throwing so much away? Yeah. Exactly. You know, when, you know, the real thing that folks need is, you know, assistance with agriculture, assistance with, with cleaning water, with, you know, with, with, uh, cleaning polluted water with, you know, doing all the things they need to, to to actually survive, not just stuff. And I think the way that you're, I think that there's been a switch, not huge yet, but it's like the, like a slight fork in the road that you're going on a slightly different one toward, Oh, maybe you could make this, you know, you, you know, your thoughts better than I do, but something of like, Oh, we could incorporate this and it would be an integral part that would enhance the experience. And Mm -hmm. yeah. I foresee one time I'm, I'm going to be having this conversation with like the CEO of Exxon and, you know, that'll be maybe a smaller fork because he is less open to that probably, but I could see it eventually getting there. Mm-hmm. And, and just a small shift from the CEO of Exxon could have enormous, you know, consequences, far, you know, far greater than a large shift in a single individual. You know? and I'm going to make that happen Good. through something like this. Well, okay. So um, I suspect that we'll talk again. It sounds like if, if, yeah. if there's meetings in the fall, I'll, I expect to be around. So I'd love to participate. Okay, great. And maybe walk a few other of the leaders of the organization through this process. Yeah, I think that would be wonderful. And then maybe for them, it'll be something different. Or maybe the whole group will be kayaking together on the Hudson. <laughs> That'd be really fun. Anything I didn't think to ask to bring up worth bringing up? Not that I could think of, except for the lavender leaves. Oh, how'd you like the lavender leaves? <laughs> there, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. I, I, I can't see myself being a regular lavender leaf forager, mm-hmm. but it was, it was, I could, I could say, I, I could see the, I could get the uh, appreciation for them. Well, for, so for listeners, there's there lavender grows around here. I, I don't know if it's native, but it certainly grows around here, and the city plants it. And I, when I eat the berries. From berry trees, berries are fruit. It's designed, like it evolved for you to pick those off. Now, the leaves, they use that to photosynthesize. So I don't want to take too many, but I, I will take a few lavender leaves and, and nibble on them. And uh, now you do have an option in, in Washington, sorry, in Union Square in the, in the farmer's market. You can pay a lot for lavender too and get the same thing for, <laughs> to pay for it. Yeah. But I prefer free. <laughs> as long as I don't take that much. And if I saw other people doing it, then I would stop doing it because right. there's too many people to do that. Yeah. Well, Jay Walker, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Great talk. And thanks for introducing me to kayaking on the Hudson. Anytime looking forward to next time. Yeah. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, 
community and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.